0: And that's what most of school is, right? Here's this information. And then surprise, three days later, can you spit it back out? Congratulations, you are intelligent. That's what we're conditioned to believe. But is that really true? Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. We're going to start this three-part series with something that's probably become familiar to long-time listeners, a quick rebuke of the Western educational system, because, you know, that's always fun. We're going to look at how one of the beliefs and assumptions at the core of our education system not only doesn't help us, but actually sets us up for all kinds of overwhelm throughout our lives. Pretty much every single one of us experienced the same conditioning as a child, but it's not doing us any favors now that we're adults who don't have to regurgitate information to pass tests, at least not very often. This series shares the final session of the Clear Thinking course, which focused on the role of consciousness and conditioning and how we think. If you want to take the extra time at home you have these days as an opportunity to float a little bit less through life and live more intentionally, you can find the full 11-week coaching seminar at clearandopen.com or go directly to courses.clearandopen.com. And I'm excited to announce the live course that's already in progress called Meditation for Awakening: How to Get With Reality. That began april 16th Uh, meditation has never before been so popular but when things get popular they tend to become dilute maybe you've noticed meditation offers more benefits than i can name here it reduces stress can eliminate anxiety and depression and when done correctly gives you x-ray vision into the truth but the way most people meditate is like visiting a new country and never leaving the airport and they especially miss out on that x-ray vision part What's the impact of not being able to see as deeply as you could the truth? Well, just the vast majority of all your problems, that's all. If you've been listening to my webcast, you've experienced that I have a unique way of getting to the heart of things. That's the x-ray vision meditation has given me, and there's a version of it waiting for you to have as well. Will you let me help you find it? What will your version of deep wisdom and insight look like? I really want to know, don't you? Well, it's closer than you think. If you're intrigued... Learn more by going to clearandopen.com slash meditation dash four dash awakening. There's still time to join. All right, thanks for listening. Let's start the podcast. I want to tell a story I've never told before about my life and the history of my belief that I'm bad at math because the topic today is conditioning. That you're, that you're what? Bad at math. Oh, thank you. Sorry, thanks for asking. Important word there. I still think I'm bad at math, but I'm not over-identified with the idea that I'm bad at math. So I think the earliest moment where I had that sense, in fact, I'm pretty sure, it was in third grade when I guess we're like, what, seven, eight years old. We had to... Um, Create a little drawing of something. I all I remember was there. There was you know we were doing all four operations: addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And there was this like track on the wall that the teacher had created, and it was a race. And there would be quizzes, you know, addition quizzes, subtraction quizzes. I only remember the subtraction one because you know the theme was like subtractula, you know, like vampire subtraction stuff. That's right. It's so funny what what teachers have to do to get to trick people into wanting to learn. So we all had to draw a picture that would be like our icon for the race. And so I remember I drew a bat. And to this day, I'm really not good at drawing. So I remember having drawn this very bad bat. And, and everyone else's drawings are up there too. And you all start on the starting line. And there's my really badly drawn bat that I'm completely embarrassed about because you know 95% of people's drawings were way better than mine. And then you take whatever it was, five quizzes over 10 weeks or whatever it was. And then based on the scores, people's little icons would advance, right? And so you would see a visual representation of where you were in the race compared to everyone else, which is at third grade, I would say a questionable thing to do, right? It's introducing competition at a really early age without any context. But that's a whole other story. So, as time went on, because I was not skilled in subtraction, I remember vividly counting with my fingers underneath the desk so no one would see. I remember doing that and being embarrassed about it every time. And so, as time went on, and with each uh, successive quiz, my badly drawn bat fell further and further behind. And I was with, you know, like just the weirdest kids who were also in the class, you know, just like the ones who were just like caricatures of themselves. And the kids who raised their hand and were first to answer the, the math problem, you know, what's whatever, 10 minus seven, and someone raised their hand. Those kids, and they're much better drawn vampire bat, whatever symbol thing it was, were leading the race. And I remember vividly this like nausea almost, this shame, this like uh, unworth. And it was compounded by the fact that the bat was a terrible drawing, and it was bad at subtraction, right? <laughs> Which is you know, of course, not the intention of the teacher, but those two things became a, a source of shame. I, I can't draw and I suck at math. That was the message, right? And there was no context of like, you know, the teacher I don't remember ever saying, and I, I doubt did. And for those of you at the end of the race and the back of the race, surely you have skills in other domains that excel. This is just math. And you know, you can have an illustrious career and suck at math, or what you know, whatever. Or maybe you're just not ready. And maybe by the time you're in high school, you realize you have a number of skills. There was nothing like that. That's the earliest memory I have. And I think it maybe was the next year, or maybe the year after that. The the second time, the second memory I have was when the math section of the class was we got two different books. A test was taken of some kind, I remember. And then the next day or next week or whatever, there was the red book and there was the blue book. And the books got passed out and it wasn't named what was going on, but there was this kind of awkward stillness in the room. People were looking around, who got the blue book? Who got the red book? Why are there two different books? No one's telling us why. And then it—you know kids are much smarter than we generally give them credit for which is one of the reasons I, I, I think I'm really good with kids, because I basically speak to them um, like they uh, are really smart. Because kids, they see stuff. They're very perceptive. They just generally don't either have the vocabulary or the permission to say what they see. So I remember there was a lot of looking around, and eventually we figured out that the kids with the blue book were the ones who were better at math because sure enough, the kids who raised their hand and were right about the problems that were being done at the board or whatever, they had the blue book and I had the red book and I was in that other category. And again, I remember that same feeling of like shame and dread and something is wrong because again, there was no context. There was no like, you may notice that the kids who are quicker with answers to arithmetic problems and can do them faster on the boards, they got the blue book. Let's talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean. There was no, I mean, that could have been a couple of hours of conversation, as you can imagine, right? But there was no context of that, whatever. And so, you know, one of my earliest clients once said to me, and I, I, I never forgot it, he was talking about management, but it applies to so many things. He said, I'm finding communication is much better than leaving things to my employees' imagination. So, what happened in that moment was the class was divided in two. And it was left entirely to the student's imagination why that was, right? And what it meant more so. I mean, why it was was because some kids were better at math, but then why split them into two groups? You know, what, what's the idea behind that? Uh, in Denmark, for example, I have a friend who grew up uh, in Denmark, and uh, she said that what they would do there is they would take the brightest kids and then put them in the least bright groups, which creates a whole other set of problems, but won't go into that. Um, but at least there was a philosophy going on there. I mean, in both cases, there is. So now fast forward to my sophomore year in uh, high school, where uh, the freshman year in high school, I was not on the honors math track because that elementary school stuff followed me all the way through um, middle school. And, and that's conditioning, right? The conditioning was, you know, there's the reality of I was less skilled at math than you know the the, the the blue group or whatever, right But that's the content. The context was something more emotional. And that is how I felt about my lesser skills in math. And that conditioning continued to follow me so that anytime I was in math, there was this sort of feeling of like, I'm not where I should be. Something's wrong. Like I'm sure many other people have. Maybe uh, you felt that way too in some subject. So there was this sense of something is wrong. Add to this, my father was a a math major at Cornell. And another thing I remember vividly, I remember when we learned multiplication, the way they teach you multiplication is like, okay, if you add three times four, well, if you add three, four times three plus three plus three plus three, you get 12. Well, three times four, it's like a different way of saying that same thing. we learned that. And I remember coming home that day and had homework, and I forgot what multiplication was. It didn't stick for me. So I went to my father and I said, you know, I, I, I'm sure I didn't ask it very well, but I, tried to, I was trying to ask, like, why is 3 times 4, 12? I wanted him to say, oh, you add 3, 4 times, or you add 4, 3 times, and that's what multiplication is. I was trying to get that lesson again. But he didn't give that to me. Instead, he pointed to a multiplication table and says, you just have to memorize it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but why is 4 times 3, 12? No, no, it's, you just have to memorize it. And I remember being so frustrated that I remember to this day, I mean, I was, I was probably seven years old, eight years old. And I remember being frustrated to the point of tears because I just wanted to understand what it was. And so here's my father, you know, very skilled at math, always using graph paper for stuff. He's a computer programmer. And that was another piece of conditioning that said, you're not good at math. So now fast forward to sophomore year in, um, in high school where I'm with a group of people who are definitely the Red Book people. Some of them went all the way back to my elementary school, right? It's by high school. It's very clear you're not an honors math. Like you're not learning whatever it was. I forget what the honors track was then, but I was in the next step down and sophomore year was geometry and the teacher was terrible. He actually said once that I, in a private conversation where I was complaining about him to him, I was, imagine me confronting a teacher at 14 years old. (laughs) Um, And uh, he's like, yeah, but there's nothing anyone can do because I have tenure. I actually remember him saying that because he he very obviously didn't care about doing well. He was not an engaged teacher. And he's like, yeah, they can't fire me. Can you imagine a teacher saying that to a 14-year-old student? I know I'm not good at stuff. Your complaints are valid, but hey, what are you going to do? I have tenure. Wow, right? <laughs> it's unconscionable. Right? So there was a moment, I think, in the first month or so, I forgot my textbook. And so I, I, I said to the teacher, can I borrow a textbook? Uh-huh. And he gave me a book for that class. And it was the teacher's edition. And so we were on the page wherever we were on. And I noticed that because it's the teacher's edition, in addition to the text students have, there are these, because the book was wider. So there are these margins that were just for the teacher. And in one of these margins was uh, on one side a quiz, and on the other side, the answers to that quiz. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if he'll give us this quiz. It being in the book and him being a lazy teacher, unlikely to create his own quizzes. So on a piece of the, you know, that kind of grayish, newsprinty scrap paper. Uh, that That you use in math sometimes, I wrote the answers. I copied the answers from the teacher's book to that quiz. And lo and behold, and then you know a couple of weeks later we had a quiz. and I thought, well i 'll bring that piece of scrap paper. it'll blend in with the scrap paper we actually use because there's always a stack of it at the front of the room i 'll bring it just in case he gives us that quiz. Well, he gave us that quiz. and I had all the answers. I would proceed to do that for the entire year. And nine times out of 10, he gave us the quiz from the book. So every three or four weeks, I would just conveniently forget my textbook, ask to borrow the book. He would give me the teacher's edition. I would copy the answers to the quiz and hope he would give us another textbook uh, quiz. So I got an A in geometry that year. (laughs) And so did two of my closest friends in the class. But it all came from the conditioning, you see, that I'm not good at this and I can't be good at this. So that cheating made sense. And I never felt good about it. I still don't feel good about it. I mean, you know, cheating here and there is one thing, but that was like systematic, right? I never did that in any other class. I I never had the opportunity. I might have. I mostly didn't need to. You know, I graduated high school, top five in my class. I probably shouldn't have because the reality was that math was going to kick my butt. It probably should have been more like in you know, around 2025. But uh, I would pay for it in other ways. Uh, my best I took, I took the SATs twice and my uh, second score was uh, 620 verbal, which is solid, but 600 math. And normally people do much better in math. Uh, and it was because of that, likely, that I didn't get into Brown, which is where I wanted to go. It's a good thing I didn't get into it because uh, I would have been too close to home because my parents were in Massachusetts. So I went to a good school and wasted money there instead. Uh, went, wasted money at Northwestern instead of Brown, but I would always pay for my uh, difficulties in in math, or more specifically, my conditioning, my stories about about that. So now fast forward to uh, age 28, I think, when I first became a coach at, at EMETH and I went through the training there, really rigorous training last the, for the first year and a half. You're in training three days a week, um, pretty much two hours a day. And we were going through financial management. And I have another very vivid memory about that. We were learning how to read a profit and loss statement. And I remember looking at this P&L And my eyes glazing over and feeling very confused. And even though we were on the phone with the trainer, because back then it was all phone coaching, there was no video. Imagine that. And so uh, that was how we trained in the context in which we would be coaching people. And my trainer, she sensed that I was going somewhere else and I was kind of disappearing. And she said, Joseph, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I'm feeling kind of distant and all the numbers are sort of becoming blurry and I'm feeling kind of nauseous and like something is wrong. And she said, What does it remind you of? I said, It reminds me of math class. And she said, Good. Just stay with that feeling for a minute and see if you can get that this financial management that we're doing here that it's actually not math. There's actually very little math involved. And see if you can separate the feeling you had in math classes from what we're doing here. And that was the first moment where I saw my conditioning around math. Before I saw that, I was that right that's what was happening when you are your conditioning about something it becomes the lens through which you experience reality the numbers on the page meant shame for me through that lens of conditioning the fact is you get to use calculators as an adult there's not even you know at most in financial management there's single variable algebra um, uncomplicated you know like three terms single variable algebra it's really not complex. you know if you got through sixth grade, you can do pretty much most financial management, and if you get stuck, there's the internet or someone to ask right It's not math, it's not this paradigm of your ugly bat is last in the race, and your life will be forever ruined that's not what's going on right. So that was one of the most important moments for me in my life I think because I had a a really visceral experience of peeling away from my conditioning. And I would go on to become you know in the next year even though I was a, a newbie at this company a year from then I would become the go-to person that all the coaches would ask about financial management. I was the best financial management coach the company had eventually which was a completely different experience than being the ugly bad at the end of the race. Only because of one thing, completely irrespective of my skill. Because you see the ability to develop skill in something is always going to be downstream of the paradigm in which you live, the context, the way you look at it. Right? Every number I ever looked at prior to that moment, was inside a belief, I'm bad with numbers. And as soon as I separated the story, I'm bad with numbers, and saw numbers without that, turns out I was quite skilled. Now, I'm still pretty bad at math, but no math that matters in any way, shape, or form in my life or in most people's lives. So I wanted to tell this story to to talk about the nature of conditioning, because this course has been about clear thinking. And our conditioning about thinking, our conditioning about education itself, is that intelligence is our ability to retain information, primarily. And that's what most of school is, right? Here's this information. And then, surprise, three days later, can you spit it back out? Congratulations, you are intelligent. Your bat gets to move to the front of the line, right? That's what we're conditioned to believe. But is that really true? Is that actually what allows us to handle the problems in our life? The ability to retain information? Is that Actually, useful as an adult. One example in which it's not useful, if you know about Clear and Open's teachings about overwhelm, is that actually the desire to hold and retain information works against how clear your mind is. Right? As the great David Allen said, the mind is a great tool for uh, creating ideas, not for holding them. And so I don't know if I've actually ever said it quite this way, but in, in part, it's our conditioning that being able to hold information is a good thing is actually one of the roots of how we overwhelm ourselves. Because we're trained that you are a smart person when you can hold lots of information in your head. Right? So we grow up and go into the work world We could put stuff in our calendar or we could hold the information in our calendar in our head. We could create task lists and project management software and and use that, hold our tasks uh, in our head or use that system. Well, a smart individual, of course, can hold all that in their heads. But then what you discover eventually is that the impact of that is you become stupid. (laughs) Because while you're holding all that information in your head, you can't think clearly because the mind can hold very few things, seven to nine things in its short-term memory. And when you're juggling all those things in your head, you're not present with people. And it turns out being present with people, listening well, all of those kinds of skills, expressing yourself well, those skills turn out to be far more important than subtraction, don't they? but nobody teaches us that. But the conditioned mind, the conditioned education mind, is still so sure that if we can just learn how to hold and process information better, then we'll become a more intelligent human being and so become successful. When actually this has no reference in reality. Because what gets you ahead in the business world is not the ability to hold or regurgitate information, but be able to work with diverse kinds of people, think on your feet, listen really well, see patterns, root problems. In other words, all stuff that we didn't learn in school. right? Which would be one thing if it's not just that we didn't learn it, it's that we were taught the complete opposite. And so inside each of us, and I see this every day in the people that I work with, inside each of us is the conditioned mind that is convinced that if it just gets the right information or can hold the right information, give me a system, give me a method, give me the tool, teach me the tool, teach me why three times four is 12. Oh, I'll memorize the multiplication table. Okay. I got it. How does that work? They think that if they get whatever that thing is, then they'll be able to solve their business problems, their life problems. doesn't work. Have you noticed? Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review and it will bring you to the right place.